Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Sodoni, and with me, Brian, the Angry Man Claimant. We are on to uh, episode two. Season three. Today we're going to be talking about body cams, and you'll see that uh, throughout this season we're really going to be a lot more focused on topics uh, that we're going to bring to you, and uh, hopefully get you um, all the information you need to make a good business decision to, to, to leverage that technology to better protect your assets. So, with that, Brian, any uh, opening words you want to you want to mention? Yes. <laughs> Are we at the session? <laughs> Where we are talking about the good, oh bad, or are we too too soon? Am I jumping the gun? By the way, I was giving you an opportunity just to say hello, but we can go right into it if you okay. like. Okay, I, I, just to clarify, in our post-production meeting, you had mentioned last week that the editors of the series are having difficulty because I talked. Oh my god! <laughs> That's... And, I'm just, uh, and I'm just wondering, is this better? No, it's not. It's terrible. You sound like a robot. You sound like Max Headroom. Remember him? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I cannot believe this weather. It's a beautiful. Who would have thought on November? What is it? Day the seventh? I'd still be riding a motorcycle, walking around in shorts. Yeah, it, well, it's actually the sixth, but that's okay because the sixth. Well, tomorrow, <laughs> I'm an optimist. <laughs> All right, life is good. Let's get on to uh, our new segment called the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to talk about the ugly, and it's really uh, there's a security nexus to this, but starting with the uh, upcoming midterm elections in the United okay, States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing with the violence, we had Pelosi's husband was attacked quite brutally last week. Homeland Security and the FBI have put out all sorts of bulletins that um, they're concerned about violence, you know, yep. up to and during the election and shortly after the election, uh, which they I think to is ban, the- uh, They have to ban handguns coming to the voting stations, it, only it, in America. It is amazing. You know, they have the right to bear arms which is sacrosanct. So you have in um, uh, certain states, you've got these poll watchers that are there in full combat fatigues, okay, with weapons, long guns, tactical armor, and they're there exercising their democratic right. I sort of call that intimidation. It's like, What if this know, goes into the workplace? What about, you know, politicians where they work? If you look in Ontario right now with the teacher strike, you've got demonstration of pickets albeit very peaceful, but or disorderly a little bit, loud. Outside politicians' places of work. They've been outside Doug Ford's home in the past. So I think as security practitioners, people that are responsible for the security of employees, you really got to start looking at where the threats are coming from. They're coming from not just within the workplace, but from outside the workplace. 
and they're dynamic and they're ever changing. You got to stay on top of the game. I think if we don't, that's going to be an ugly story to talk about in the weeks to come. Yeah, yeah, that's it's going to be interesting. I think it's Tuesday, right? That's when they. Yeah, I believe so. so. Yeah. yeah that's going to be. I'll be watching TV that night. That's for sure. It will be. Yes. Well, on my end, I've got uh, I've got all three. I've got the good thing. I think is that uh, there's a public inquiry going on into the um, convoy uh, disaster, um, and I think the bad thing is that there's a public inquiry into the disaster because we're seeing how incompetent all parties were and how much of a wild west show it was. Um, but I think it's important that they're airing it out to understand what actually happened and how things were managed so that we can hopefully do it better next time, obviously, and improve on on how we prepare for those types of things. But uh, it just, it's, it's astounding to hear some of the testimony from, you know, like the chief and you're like, wow. You know, uh, chief Stoli? Yeah. Like, no. I, I don't, uh, it, it, what, what amazes me, you know, if you remember, uh, uh, I forget the name of the commission, but after the Paul Bernardo inquiry yeah. investigation, and one of the things they realized, there were real substantive changes that occurred, the police forces in Ontario weren't talking to each other, and they weren't yeah. changing databases, and the Toronto police were aware of certain things, and Niagara, Niagara police and other agencies working the case weren't, and they changed that, so I thought, but what this Ottawa inquiry right now is indicating that the communication between police forces, the showing of intelligence, the the analysis of the intelligence was all over the place. And I thought yeah. that was, uh, you know, something in the past. I thought we were way beyond that. I know on the security side of the house, I know that uh, we have made great efforts in the last few years to sh work with our counterparts and other organizations just so that we're working off the same playbook. If the stuff coming out in Ottawa is correct, there's a lot of work to be done on the public side. Yeah, well, I would I would add, look at uh, the investigations of the Halifax shooting. Same thing, right? Like politicians sticking their nose into police matters and command getting involved with, with investigations. And it's just like like you said, you think this stuff would have been in the past. We're talking 25, 30 years ago, but it continues to happen. It's just human nature. If you think you can sway something or influence something to your advantage, you're going to try and do it, I guess. I think there's got to be that separation, you know, you're right, of politics and of the police, and you'll hear the politicians, Mr. Prime Minister Trudeau and uh, Premier Ford say that all the time. Yet part of the inquiry in Nova Scotia was that Commissioner Leckie apparently was under pressure from by Minister Blair because the uh, gun legislation was coming out, you know. Yeah. And I don't know what the truth is or not, but I think... Often on this podcast, we talked about the importance for leaders, those security leaders, to stand tall and to face the threats and adversity and do the right thing. You know, I think our police chiefs and our senior police leaders have to stand tall and tell government, listen, just stand to the side. You know, yep. this ranchable to the police service board, not to the premier's office, not to the prime minister's office. And if we did that, maybe we wouldn't be in these messes. But, you know, politics prevails. It prevails in business. It prevails in the public sector. And... Uh, it always rears its ugly head at the worst times, and uh, the inquiry is going to be interesting. Yep. I, we'll see one more thing. I know this is your good and bad topic, but with the inquiry, what amazes me is with the Prime Minister, how he talked about the heavy hammer that Premier Ford did yes. with the legislation in Ontario, of course, to teach it back to work. And I think it was a bit of a heavy hammer, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. It's interesting that the Prime Minister says that, yet the Emergency Measures Act was an equally heavier, heavy, nuclear, or heavier. Nuclear missile. The nuclear missile. So, <laughs> you know, these guys are just, it's just amazing. 
the, and so he never said anything about the, the suspension of of rights in Quebec using the same the exact same clause. Well, you know, I got to tell you, you talked about the October crisis in the 19th century with uh, Pierce. Well, no, I'm talking about the language bill oh. 121. Well, listen, you, again, you know, you and I said that we're in this segment, we're going to stay security and not get into... Yeah, you're, you're getting the, me off track. But I can't help but talk <laughs> to that for a second. Uh, you, you know, I don't know, why do we call this a constitution or a charter of rights? It's a charter of rights and all men are created equal and, and we have these rights and freedoms unless the notwithstanding clause is named. Yeah. I mean, you know... There's a Alberta's whole, doing it too, right? They're thinking of implementing it as well. It, it's a slippery slope. So I would <laughs> yeah. suggest respectfully to the political leaders, if they're listening to this podcast, yes. <laughs> but let's just get rid of the charter. Because the charter or constitution that doesn't have teeth is not a charter or constitution. It's just virtual signaling. I know how we got here. I remember the repatriation of the constitution with Trudeau and Mulroney and all those guys back then. And they had to do that to appease Quebec. It was a whole different world we lived in back then. I know how we got here. And Quebec used it, it's true, they were the first to use it, but they used it for something substantive, at least in their mind, to cross yeah. language rights. But, you know, that's, it was substantive. It's being used for everything now. Just yeah. get rid of the bloody thing and either have a charter or constitution we respect, or let's just be realists, let's just fight amongst each other. All right, well, now that you've uh, taken up my good bad and ugly, let's move on to the topic at hand. You started is, it, you know. Which is body cams. Um, and for those who may not be familiar, we're talking about those little uh, square, you know, they're like GoPros, but uh, you tend to see them on the chest of police officers that use them. Uh, more and more security uh, security companies are using them as well. Um, and what we're going to talk about today is the pros and cons of deploying those those uh, that technology in your program, because there are pros and cons. Um, and mostly uh, and cons, what, mostly cons, of course. Guess which side Brian's going to be on. Um, but there's a lot of pros, which we'll talk about. But uh, just to, to sort of summarize these units, then they're not very expensive. They're about uh, you know anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to, to certainly under a thousand bucks. You can buy a unit. Um, you would need some kind of storage device that goes with it. Could be in the cloud. Could be on the device. Could be locally. Um, and they tend to work um, when the when the user activates it. They're not always working because it takes up a lot of power and takes up a lot of uh, storage space. So, um, but they've also become very uh, advanced. So you've got GPS tracking. I don't know if they've got, I think they've probably got analytics in there. I would be surprised if they don't, but they certainly have voice capability, video capability. Um, you can replay it, zoom in, all that kind of cool stuff that makes the video very valuable or very um, uh, dangerous, depending on which side of the house you, you sit on. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my pal, Brian, to talk about why he's against body cams. Um, and then we can move on to why why you should have them and uh, I'll try and discourage or or educate him on why he should implement Brian so if I understand correctly I'm gonna say why uh, why I'm against it but yes. you're not gonna correct me until yes. everyone was, okay good <laughs> years ago when I was going to university I was taking a flying lessons and I was learning to fly a Cessna like most people they learn on a Cessna 150 or 172 how how do I bring that back to body cams I'm not against body cams. I think body cams are incredible technology. I'm waiting for you to fall off your chair. I'm just trying to understand where you're going with this because then you're talking about a training issue. It's not the technology issue. Oh, no, of course it's not the technology. Let me go back to my flying days, okay? 
um, there was the you know, CF-15 jet fighters that the Canadian Forces had. The technology was amazing. It was amazing for people that were ready to harvest that technology. My problem with security is, for the last two or three years of doing this podcast, we've talked about challenges and opportunities missed in the security industry, especially as it relates to guards, when it comes to training. And we said there were a lot of reasons for that. For salaries, uh, service providers that don't really get it, the commoditization of security, okay? I do not have a problem with body cams. But as it relates to security, its time has not come for the most part. Unless you have a very, if you look at it on Darwin's hierarchy of evolution, okay, scale of our evolution or continuum, unless you have a security program with security guards that are at a very high level of evolution in terms of training, oversight, and, and supervision, almost like the top of their game, like most police officers are in terms of training and oversight and supervision. Don't get too silly at Mr. Cedrone. <laughs> then I'm against it. And we both agree that the industry is not there yet in terms of quality control, oversight, and training. Therefore, I think it's a great technology whose time has not yet come for the, uh, for the industry as a whole. There are outliers. There are programs that are really good, few and far between. Clearly, I see the benefit there. But a body cam records a moment in time. And, it, you know, the pro for a lot of people is, well, it keeps the guards honest. It keeps, some, uh, uh, it keeps their behaviors in line. The problems are not the behaviors with guards. It's the lack of knowledge. If you don't know telling someone to F off is a problem, if you haven't been trained that trespassing is not an offense in which you can use lethal force, the body cam is not the issue. The training is issue, the issue. And I finished at four minutes and 20 seconds, and I had five, five minutes to go. So over to you. So, okay, you you just, so you're basing it all on the lack of the quality of the guard. I am going to expand that argument a little and basically say that the technology, if you're, so you're only using one lens, as usual, Brian focusing on the one, one little aspect, which is the bad training. But we can use the body cams to do better training as well. And that's part of the pros of the camera. When they're able to review what they've done and see what they've done wrong, what they can improve, now you show them in sort of black and white uh, what's going on. They can critique themselves versus just listening or reading it or taking it online, which is all they do nowadays. Let, let me finish. I know you want to, you give me my time. <laughs> all right. So the other things that I would say are pro, um, and just so everyone knows, I actually ran a pilot on body cams in my previous life before deploying them because we did have concerns about liability, all those kinds of things, but it was just an overwhelming success for us. We didn't see really any negatives to deploying them. Um, and the four main reasons out of that pilot uh, that supported the deployment of the cameras was first of all, uh, culpability, as Brian said, yeah, the guys are gonna behave better, but it also forced them to act better at a more professional level. If you're, uh, um, you know, if you're constantly swearing, which I'm very bad at doing, and I know I do it all the time, um, put me on camera and all of a sudden I'm going to stop swearing. I, I'm a lot more professional. And that's what we found with the guards during the pilot was that they behaved much better. Also, in, in, in relation to that, the clients that they were engaging with acted much better. As soon as they, they were told, because part of the, we can get into it later, but 
part of the, the, the program, you have to have a, a procedure. And we've talked about that many times before. You have to have a policy or procedure in place on how you're going to manage the body cam program. And part of that means you've got to tell people that they're on video and let them know that they're being recorded. And as soon as you do that, nine times out of 10, their angry or their anger comes down. If they're being belligerent, they start behaving. You know, so that's another asset of deploying body cam. The, the third piece was the training piece, which I told you, you know, we take that, that uh, we take incidents just like police do, right? They debrief an incident. Now you're able to debrief it with video to show what you did wrong, what you could have done better. And lastly, liability is one that can go both ways. Yeah, I get it. you got a bad guard. You're going to give the uh, defense the evidence to sort of sink your ship. But consequently, everyone's got a freaking video nowadays. Everyone carries a phone. I'd rather have video that tells my story, my way, versus relying on other people who are going to edit it to their advantage. There, I've done it in three minutes and 49 seconds. Your, your go. You know, this new format we have where we're polite, we let one person talk and the other listens attentively is going to kill me. <laughs> okay. So let me take the first point. I was taking copious notes. And the problem is I write so quickly, I probably can't read my writing as well as I thought I could. But you talked about the benefit of the camera is it if there's an incident and it doesn't really go the way we want, there'll be like the police, you said, there'll be a review. We'll critique the guard. We will uh, identify what was done right, what wasn't, so that we continue to do it right, what was not maybe done as well as it could have been, so we can address the behavior. I think that's wonderful. But what are you drinking? Okay. Like, we're going to critique the guard? Like, wh where do you work? Where do you it's live? It's part of the training who, process. Who, there who, are. Who, excuse me. Don't interrupt. I'm talking. <laughs> we're an open debate now. <laughs> oh, we're an open debate. Okay. <laughs> Who's going to do this critiquing? You've got a guard or two that are by themselves there. There is no supervisor. No. The supervisor comes by once every six years, and he doesn't really understand anything because he's trained. The account manager doesn't have the skill set. So where is this critique? Well, you're okay. I, I will I will acknowledge that the majority of programs out there do not have the mentoring and leadership that you're talking about. I will I will concede I that. The, however, from the mic. Excellent. However. The programs that we ran, uh, extensive programs with big companies who are who are paying the bucks to have a security program in place. I know my security managers in those buildings. They were debriefing incidents, and I'm sure yours were too. I mean, that's what that's what you were there for. We had no incidents in my buildings. <laughs> well, you had no reporting uh, software, so nothing <laughs> ever happened. You know what? I do not disagree with you there, but again, I think you got to get the wax uh, cleaned out of your ears. I started off by the, this thing saying that I'm not against the technology. It's a technology whose, whose time has not come yet for the bulk of the industry. The fact that you had it, okay, and we know some other guys, uh, our security director of the year friend, David Salston, had yep. it, and that's one of the reasons he got it. You guys are, I, as much as this hurts me to say, you guys are constant professionals, and you run tight programs. My point is, though, that I wish we had more programs like the ones that David ran and you ran and our friends at Cadillac Fairview and maybe even myself where I was type thing. But that's not the norm. And that's my point. The, tech, the technology is good when you get to a certain level. But to say that the industry is ready for this, it's not ready for it. There might be pockets. It's like, I'll give you a very quick history lesson. Anthropology, okay? You had Cro-Magnon. Cro-Magnon man 
before you had humanoids or Neanderthals, and then you had the next one. Okay, they were living at the same time. One was more evolved than the other. I will give you a compliment, which I hate to say. Perhaps <laughs> you were not a Neanderthal, your program, but you were an outlier. Would you not agree with me? I, I, I agree that we are, we are the exception, but I disagree with you in saying that you can't move forward because it's part of the leaders to, to, to lead. Like, you've got to show the direction. And as industry leaders, which those companies were, I mean, there, there weren't many that had the operations that those companies had in place 24-7, right? Part of being that leader means trying new things, going in new di directions, and understanding how to leverage that technology to take you to the next level. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I know in our buildings, we have constant complaints about guards, right? These guys are making minimum wage, and lo and behold, tenants were all over them all the time because they didn't say good morning. They didn't dress well. They caught them asleep, like all this stuff. And some of it's legitimate. Some of it's just a bunch of BS, right? But I can tell you, once you put the cameras on them, all those complaints disappeared. It wasn't magic. Like, it creates accountability on both sides. I do not disagree with anything you said. I, I, <laughs> perhaps perhaps we're, we're in agreement. My concern is that, and I've heard this in discussions with David Salston as well, that if you're, if the point you're trying to articulate is that the time is now for body cameras throughout the industry, I take exception to that. I think that we've got to start introducing it carefully and judiciously, just like they did in law enforcement. Ten years ago, not every law enforcement agency had it, just certain did. Today, it's the norm, but they know it. They ramped up, they're prepared for it. I think the evolution is starting, okay, and I think it's the right thing. But I don't think that we can say that this should be a norm within the industry because it's going to hurt more than it's going to help well, if you okay. make it a norm. I, I Okay, so I will agree with you on that point. Absolutely. You need to know what the hell you're rolling out. And that's the point of this podcast is to get people to understand what the liabilities are with technology. So when it comes to body cams in particular, yeah, to your point, you don't just put them on your damn guards and let them go out and do their their, their patrols. So to give some some uh, perspective to anybody who's thinking about deploying them, we had to, you know, you've got to have a management of that system. Who accesses those videos? Who can download them? How are they controlled? Where's the video stored? All that stuff needs to be worked out. As I said earlier, there's a policy in place that has to be adhered to. There was a, you know, how you put that thing on, when you turn it on, what kind of situations are you recording? Anytime? Are you doing 24-7? Or is it just, you know, uh, incident-specific? Right? How is it turned on? How do you tell the people that they're being uh, recorded? There's All those things have to be mapped out for this program to be successful. So if you're listening and you're a business saying, well, yeah, it's a great idea, it's cool technology, let's put them on the guards. And to your point, the guards don't even know they're, you know, don't even know what the left hand's doing over the right hand, then yeah, you can probably be setting yourself up for some serious losses down the road. So again, the cameras work, the technology works. I think we both agree on that. And I think we also agree that if you go down that road, you have to have the training, the policies, procedures, and the management of the program in place before you go down that road. Don't just throw, roll it up because you're setting yourself up for failure. That's right. And that's my only point. You have to walk before you run. It's the and only point you ever have. No, no, but, but because I'm usually right. You, you, you know, And you are welcome now that I've got you to see it because we started this off this debate. And for years, we've been talking about it, you, David, and I, and some others thinking that this is the best thing to slice bread. It could be if you're ready for it. You know, you're not ready to drive an, uh, you fly an F-15 until at least you've mastered the Cessna 172. 
and it's an evolutionary process. So I think we've started down that road. I think it's the right thing. I think we'll, it will pay dividends. But you know what? The per if the purpose of the camera is to make sure that uh, the interactions with the uh, public we serve and uh, the guards are professional, I would suggest that we can get more return for efforts to just make sure we had good, basic, solid training in place. If we did that, that would yield a better result, a better immediate result than the camera. But cameras, certainly, we're getting there. You know, if you talk about technology, Luke, years ago when we were a lot younger, uh, guards would do uh, uh, their rounds and they'd use these Detex clocks. You had that yep. key and you'd put yep. it in the machine. And now it's all computerized and it's on their smartphone. I mean, that's the evolutionary thing. If we would have said 30 years ago, use these computerized devices as they were coming out, okay? The, it wouldn't have worked. The guards wouldn't know what it was. You know, they wouldn't know how to turn the bloody machine on or the phone on. So I'm not opposed to cameras. I'm just opposed to introducing them into the security program, into the security toolbox at the right time. And I think we need outliers like you and David to push it, to show the proof of concept. But we've also got to make it really clear to people that the evolutionary cycle of certain programs is so far advanced than what is the norm out there that this is future state. This isn't current state. It's not even new, near future state. There's a lot of steps most programs need to do before they get to use this technology. Same thing like, you know, if there was a time in Canada where security guards could be armed, okay? Well, and at that time, and it was probably the wrong thing to do, but at that time, they were the cream of the cream in terms of training, background screening. They didn't just give it to everyone. It was a tool that was uh, reserved for those that had a need and also the skill and the training, yeah. the oversight and supervision to do it. My only point is body cams are the same way. And uh, to people in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and Puerto Rico that are listening to this podcast, I am for technology. But if you deploy it prematurely and you don't deploy it properly, you're going to mess it up for a generation to come. Well, technically, that's a, that's a win for me because you agree with the technology what we're talking about. Well, the fact I, that people using it can't use it, that's a different concern. Well, you can't help but agree with the technology. I mean, it, it takes incredible, uh, the quality is amazing. You, it, there's no skill set needed by the operator. The, the, uh, uh, it, it is great for recording what happened. I mean, if you look at it when it's used properly, you know, especially in law enforcement circles, it makes all the difference, okay? It tells the story, but the problem is it tells the story. And my only point is sometimes in security, in the current state of security, you really don't want to tell the whole story. You want to fix it. You don't want to hide it, but you don't want it to result in a litigation against your employer yeah. or the people you're representing. That's my only point. So I accept your apology, okay? There's no apology. You're I would so even... focused on your new toy. Even your core system is too complicated for these guys. They figured out how to circumvent it if it's not properly set up from the start. I right? agree. That, that, that this is the, what have we been debating for the last four years? Because that's all I said. I said to you when you were rolling it out, I said, just be careful what you wish for. And you said, I understand. Therefore, I'm going to make sure we roll this out properly. Innovation is good. Technology is good. But in order for it to be successful, you've got to prep it properly. It's like a high-rise. You know, the hardest part of putting up a high-rise tower is the sublevels. That could take two years just to do the basements and all the sublevels. 
you got to anchor it properly because if you don't, you don't want to be up on the 30th floor when it collapses. But if you take the time to do it right, it's going to have a solid foundation. You'll be successful. That's the only thing. The problem in, in the security industry has been my experience over the years is that we're really quick to adapt the newest and greatest of everything that's out there, but we don't do it right. I'll give you a case in point that you know a lot about uh, uh, because you, we've dealt with it, remote guarding. Mm -hmm. It's the flavor of the month. Yep. Get rid of the guards. We're going to use technology. We're going to see what's happening. It's going to go to a control center and then we'll be able to deploy a guard. That's great. The technology works flawlessly. They haven't figured out the guard piece yet. Right. But what happened is it's been deployed at sites. Customers are looking at that. They got rid of guards now. They looked at that to keep them safe, and it's not working the way it should work. The problem is not the technology. It was just ahead of its time. That's my only point. So, you, you, you know, I said to your apology. You know, did he, the uh, officer, that, the officer, the criminal that killed Mr. Floyd, was his camera going or was it everyone else's camera? I don't recall, man. See, that's the thing. Now, again, it's not that I want to hide things, but it records everything. And that way you want to make sure that when you do that, that you're ready to do it, that at least the guard knows what, what, what his limits are, what the law is. No, exactly. But, I mean, you can debate that all day, man. You talk about George Floyd. What about there was, I can't remember the, the you know which one I'm talking about, where the three cars pull up on a guy who they were chasing him. Oh yeah, yes. Sent us the video, and from the from the car, from the first and second car, the perspective of the camera, the coppers would have been done for criminal behavior, basically, yeah. and shot the guy unarmed. But the third car pulling up from the other angle shows clear as day that this guy wanted to get shot by police. Yes. And, and, and the cameras were wonderful, and it saved yeah. a lot of grief, and it also prevented the community from rioting because they saw what the police were dealing yeah. with. But those were trained, seasoned police officers that were supervised. Okay. If you just had a bunch of vigilantes, like you have in the States a lot of, you, you know, and they had body cams, you're going to see something else. I'm not saying security guards are vigilantes. I'm just saying for the most part, they're not there yet. Well, I would also, I would challenge your notion. And, you know, I'm an ex-cop, so I support them 100%. But there's plenty of body cam videos that show police officers failing I, to meet that standard you're talking I about. I agree. You're right. But the thing is, those officers that are not meeting that standard know better. The poor guards in many cases, don't know better. You know, often, I'm not anti-guard, but often when terrible things happen with guards, when they do false arrests, things like that, they sincerely in their heart thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. But it wasn't. Those officers that you're talking about, okay, they knew better. They just forgot the cameras going and they just chose to be deviant. Yeah. So at least they had a chance. You know, we also owe it to the security guards that got to make sure that they know what the camera means. Yeah, of course. And they know their job. It goes back to that whole, you know, got to set it up for success. You can't just yeah. roll it out because it's a cool toy. Um, so so that, that's this, good. I think we're done. I mean, I think we basically agree that the technology works. Yeah. Um, well, and about that. The, the, what? There's no doubt. Well, did you ever right. think? Oh, I thought, you, I thought you were disputing that. So, yeah, well, we agree the technology is, it works well, you, you and it can be beneficial. Years? You thought that I was saying that the technology, is that what you thought? Are you stupid? I, I'm so I thought you were. I'm so used to you being contrary to what I have to say. No, of course the technology works. That's the problem. It works. <laughs> All right. So we agree on that. The only the only change or the issue is, uh, or the challenge is, you know, you rightfully point out that a lot of guards aren't prepared for it. And I would add in a lot of clients aren't prepared for it. 
um, you know, they think, like I said, it's a cool new toy. Let's deploy it. But as hopefully has come up in this or has come through in this podcast, you really need to set those parameters in place before you roll it out. And you know, I think you mentioned it as well. You pilot it, right? Don't just throw it out to all your properties and then watch it blow up. Uh, pilot it at a site. Pick a site with a lot of problems and see how it how it works, how it engages with the clients, how it's receptive, how it's received by your tenants, because that's that plays into it too. So some tenants really think that uh, you know they don't want to see it. We had that. We had tenants who were, oh, it looks awful, it looks like a police state, and then we had other tenants going, I think it's fantastic. You get to see what's happening. People aren't abusing the guards, you know, all that. So you got arguments on both sides of, of the coin. The key is set it up for success. Get those policies and procedures in place. Run a pilot. See if it works for you before you go up the chain to get approval and rolling it out permanently long-term um, and, you know, with the rest of the fall. Is that I am okay? happy. I think that I am uh, in a Zen place now. I still like you. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, I think uh, you summed it up really, really well. Awesome. And I think that was a bang-up job. We're in uh, 30 minutes, bang, right on, right on target in terms of time. Um, we want to keep these short, focused, and uh, and valuable to you. So. If you got any other topics, let us know as usual. Um, hit our website, sponsorbrianclayman.com. Uh, we do have a website specifically for protecting your, your assets where you can leave comments or uh, ideas in terms of what you want to see or who you want us to talk to. We'll try and reach out to the guests. We are going to be doing that as well. Uh, and with that, hope you have a great week, a couple weeks anyway, until we come back and uh, stay safe. And we'll talk to you later. Stay safe and enjoy the sunshine. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.